Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm sitting here with Ray Hyde Cornell, uh, the founder of Chiron Consulting. Uh, Ray, you've helped people break free from the nine to five, starting freelancing businesses, becoming solopreneurs. And what I really liked um, about what you do is that you bring in spirituality. Um, I think you also bring in individuality and, and uniqueness, and you see kind of the business process as an empowerment process, which I think is fantastic. Um, it's some views that I have too, and I'm excited to have this conversation. So Ray, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm curious, let's just dive right in, right? So Chiron, right? It's like the wounded healer, right? From yes. Greek mythology. So I wonder, what is your story? Um, what brought you to this? What are some of the wounds that you've, you know, um, kind of transcended in building this company and becoming yeah, who you are? Uh, first of all, very good. You know your Greek, Greek mythology. <laughs> yes. So Chiron is the wounded healer. Um, his story starts out where he was abandoned in the forest by both of his parents, and he had to basically raise himself. Eventually, he went on to be adopted by Apollo and taught medicine, healing, poetry, music, all of these things, and grew up to be the trainer for Greek mythology's most famous heroes. So Achilles, Hercules, Ajax. And that's really the goal of Chiron. So my story is very similar where I raised myself. I was known in my family as a super independent one because I had to be. Both of my parents were cops and they worked crazy hours. And I was on this very self-driven path to get out of what was a pretty abusive household. Uh, my mother was a very violent woman. She was a gangs detective. And I think just her world really seeped into her personality. And she brought that home with her. And so at 16, I left home. And um, when I was in high school, I was going to high school and college at the same time for the purpose of getting out. And so I left. Um, I went to my undergrad. I finished that in three years. I was one of the youngest graduates that they've had and um, went on to build a life for myself. And now with Chiron Consulting, that's my second business. But my goal is really to help people find that strength within themselves that maybe they think they have weaknesses or the things that are different about them. They think that those are not strengths, but really they are. And what makes you so individual is what allows you to build a completely unique business and help people in the way that only you can. And that can be the foundation of your financial freedom. So my goal at Chiron is to really help people be the heroes of their own story. Yeah. So I'm curious, what was it like for you founding this? And maybe, maybe we should go back to the first company, Cornell Content Marketing. Um, what was it like setting out, right? I'm sure as a young entrepreneur, you said kind of like right out of undergrad, right? Yeah. Well, actually it was during undergrad. So when Before I was, um, so I left home at 16, I started undergrad at 17. And up until that point, I had been, you know, 
lying on job applications about my age and forging my dad's name on my work permits and things like that just to make money at, you know, traditional jobs. Like I had a job at Starbucks and as a flower delivery girl for a while and just pretty much any job you can think of, I was doing it. Um, but when I went to college, I started out as a web developer on campus, um, which I had taught myself HTML and PHP and CSS as a kid when I changed schools between my fourth and fifth grade years. Um, and I didn't have any friends. And so it's one of those things where you just kind of like become a little hermit and you learn how to tinker and do things. So I taught myself coding and that skill carried through um, into helping me get my first job on campus. And I tend to be a workhorse. And so I, anytime there was a job application or opening on campus, I applied and I got it. So I had about nine jobs on campus um, by the end of my freshman year. And then I was uh, assaulted on campus and developed wicked PTSD. It was really bad. I couldn't sleep. And when I did sleep, I would sleep for like 12 hours. I couldn't wake up in the morning. Um, I was never rested because all night I would be having nightmares. I'd wake up in these like awful sweats and just, you know, um, like all of my muscles were contracted the whole night. Like everything was really tense. And so I'd wake up feeling like I just ran a marathon. I was completely non-functional basically. And I couldn't show up to work. I couldn't walk across campus without being scared. Um, and so the last quarter of my freshman year was basically just me failing all of my classes and figuring out how the fuck to get off of that campus. I broke my housing lease. I was just, that was my mission. I was trying to get out of there, but I didn't want to drop out of undergrad the way that I did high school. And so I decided that I was going to turn to the internet, which I think a lot of people do nowadays. And I typed in how to make a living writing because that's what I was good at. Everyone has a natural skill for some people it's drawing or photography or music. For me, it was writing. And so I just tried to figure out how am I going to support myself with this natural ability that I have? And it started out with me actually writing uh, papers for my classmates. Uh, that's what nice. I was good at. I was yeah. really good at school. I just started doing other other people's homework, taking their classes for them and, and all the kind of thing. And of course, not at all legitimate, but that's where I started. And I realized that I was really good at it and it helped me. Um, it was giving me something to have structure around. And, you know, I, I loved deadlines and um, it was something that made me feel good about myself because I was putting my natural abilities to use and it was, it came naturally to me. It came very easily. And so from there, I wanted to not be kind of in the shadows and be so secretive about what I did. And so I decided to start seeing if I could write for businesses. And that's how I ended up paying my way through my undergraduate program. I got a bachelor's in psychology, a master's in professional clinical counseling and marriage and family therapy, and then another master's in criminology. And all the way I was paying my way as a freelance writer. And then it wasn't until I finished uh, my second master's where I was this close to getting my license as a counselor and becoming a counselor in the prison system. Um, and I just completely burned out on the mental health world. I yeah. was working at a mental hospital at the time, uh, sitting with a client coming down off of meth and he had been in our facility 
four, three or four times already. And my supervisor wanted me to put them through the same protocols. And I just flipped. I'm like, why? This isn't doing anything for him. It's not doing him any good. This obviously isn't addressing his problems. Why am I just going to be a cog in this revolving door of a broken system? So I quit and I threw myself full time into my freelance writing career. And from there, everything just expanded and grew in the most amazing way that I never thought possible. Fast forward to today. And um, actually, so we're recording this in April. Um, in at the end of October, my husband was able to retire from his full-time job after putting in 20 years at FedEx. And um, at the age of 39, he retired and joined me full-time in my business. So now we're both completely self-employed, working from home, making our own schedules, setting our own pay rates, all of those things that you don't get to do in the traditional world of W-2 employment. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great story. I want to say, point of connection, I actually worked as a uh, DUI counselor for two years and that's yeah, the, the rough, exact same it? burnout. Yeah. The exact same yeah. thing that you talked about is what had me launch my private practice about whatever it was 10 years ago or something now. Um, yep. But yeah, seeing the same thing, seeing the frequent flyers, seeing like the recidivism rate. Mm. I mean, I think there was like a stat going on in Colorado when I was there that 85% of people that got a DUI got a second one, um, even with all the money and interventions. And they were like, proud of that? They're like, oh yeah, we're making change. I'm like, 15%? Like that's that's what we're doing, right? And I didn't want to be in a 15% yeah. business. I remember kind of having that as a mantra of like, I need to get out. I need to feel more effective. I need to be part of something that is that works, you know? Yes. Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that we have that similar connection in that system. It's uh, it's a grinder. It's a grinder. Yeah. And it spits out, it grinds up employees and spits them out too, right? People yeah. flame out of that all the time. And a large part of me loved it. I mean, I worked at a drug rehab facility. I worked at a community counseling center running substance abuse groups and then at a mental hospital. And I loved helping people get to the root of their problems. But I found that most of the time I cared about their recovering success more than they did. For sure. And yeah. that is not a sustainable model. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you're kind of coming back around on some of that counseling work mm -hmm. uh, with Chiron, right? Like I, yes. I love kind of the themes that you're weaving in. I want to make sure getting them right of like helping people find kind of their natural abilities, right? And amplifying those. I think helping people write their own story, right? Kind of be the self-authoring thing, right? Like being in control of their own life. Yes. Um, and I think really, like I said in the beginning, like empowering them that they can make the change, right? That they're not beholden to these larger systems or organizations. Yeah. And there's a lot I really loved about being a counselor. And, you know, I, growing up with two cops, it was kind of weird because you would think, oh, I'd be on the side of the police and, you know, I'd be on the good guy side, but I actually really understood and empathized with the criminal mind. And I understand why people do the things that they do and why they feel those are their only choices. And so I loved that part. But what I didn't love about the mental health world is that it has you ruminating in the past. It's constantly asking you to bring up and relive those past experiences. And what does that do? It just keeps you in the past. And so a lot of what I do on the Chiron side, and I want to be very clear, I'm not a mental health professional anymore. I'm not licensed as a counselor or anything like that. So what I do on Chiron is not therapy. It is focusing on the present and the future of where you want to go. And in my experience, especially when we can tie in the spiritual side of things, even without doing therapy, people overcome 
anxiety, PTSD, depression, the agoraphobia. I mean, they overcome those things by identifying a purpose in their lives and then projecting their energy forward into the future to the person they want to be and really drawing that closer to them. So in a lot of ways, it can be, in my humble opinion, far more effective than therapy. Yeah, I think that's true, right? I think traditional therapy is just what we talked about, treading old ground. It's kind of like behavioral interventions or stuff out of workbooks or stuff that's Mm -hmm. like, you know, evidence-based, but it just feels very impersonal. It's not actually connective or relational, right? I mean, what I try to bring in my practice is is the combination of an insight and action, right? So insight is great, but some therapists, they get stuck at insight and they never do that action piece of like, okay, great. Now that you know this, now that you kind of understand your brain programming and your past and, you know, your triggers and traumas, et cetera, et cetera, like, what are you going to do about it? (laughs) Right? Like, how are you going to move forward? Um, and yeah, you know, we'll probably talk more in a second segment, but my business is shifting to be more community building focused mm-hmm. because I do think finding healthy communities and finding like motivated groups is critical. Um, I think therapy is really, it fails when it's just individual, which is relationship with one person. Um, I yeah. love doing group work and retreats and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, agree. I, yep. I want to bring it back over to you, right? You, you talked about spirituality. Um, and if you're comfortable on the show, I'm curious, how would you describe your spirituality? What are some of your spiritual beliefs? How did you bring it in? How are they formed? Um, what's that story? Yeah. So growing up, my family is Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. And growing up, I was told, you go to church, you read the Bible, you believe in the Bible, you believe in God and Jesus. And even from a very young age, I didn't buy into it. It just didn't feel right. You know, I never absorbed the indoctrination. There was always a wall there, a resistance. And I never really understood why I had such resistance until I was much older. Um, I mean, when I was young, I claimed to be an atheist. I looked into paganism and all of these things because I loved mythology. You could probably tell because my second business is named after a Greek myth, but I loved Greek and Roman and um, Egyptian mythology and just something in that. It wasn't that I believed that there were multiple gods and, you know, I didn't like, you know, pray to multiple gods or, or do, you know, spells or whatever, but I was interested in, there was something in there that I was like, there's, I've got a, I've got a bit closer. And so now I really, come to realize what that resistance was. And it was Christianity for me was too confining. It said, there's only one way. This is the way this there's one God, there is one, you know, prophet, there's Jesus. And I just never felt like that could possibly be true when you have groups of Christians who believe their way is the only way and groups of Jews who believe theirs is the only way, and groups of Muslims who believe theirs is the only way. And I, I'm very much a language person. So, you know, writing's my natural thing. And in college, I studied French, German, Spanish, Italian, Latin, and Greek. Like, my brain just loves languages. And I'm looking at all these groups, and I'm going, wait a minute, they're talking about the same thing. They're all saying the exact same thing, but they're just using different words to describe it. And why is there so much hate between these groups when really they're all reading the same page in a different book that is saying the same thing, but in a different language? And so for me, eventually I realized I don't believe there is a one God. I say universe. There's 
the universe or source or energy, but it's the same thing for me. I believe that the people who are identified as Christians and they talk about God, I think they're talking about the same entity. We just have a different way of describing it. So now whenever I talk about my spiritual beliefs, I talk about energy. I talk about the universe. I talk about connection and you know, it's, it's ironic that we're having this conversation now because my husband and I, um, his mother is in hospice and uh, we've been having a lot of those hard conversations about what happens after death and, you know, what does that look like and what do we believe and, you know, what are we going to do for funeral, uh, funeral, goodness, I can't say that word, arrangements mm -hmm. because of that. And um, we're all kind of realizing that we all as a family, my husband, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law all really believe the same thing that there's a lot of there's energy flowing through everything and when you die your energy you can't end energy it doesn't just disappear it transforms and it becomes something else and so in what i believe and how i apply that in my life and in business is focusing that energy so where do i want my energy to go if i'm pouring it into something that's not serving me then I'm just going to get more of what's not serving me. And really it's this big, heady concept that you can actually apply in your day-to-day -day work and relationships and the way that you take care of yourself and the way that you structure your life. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I think like energy cultivation and management is huge, right? Yeah. And I on your website, you talk about manifestation, right? And kind yeah. of visioning and all that stuff. And that's critical, yeah. right? And I'll say for listeners, like whether there's a spiritual anchor or there's also a neuroscience anchor, right? Of like just trying to change the filter that you have and yes. seeing things that you're paying attention to, right? I mean, for some people, it can be just that simple. And that could be a great thing to, to latch on to. Um, exactly. I think mindset, I like that you have that on your website too. You have a nice little diagram of an event diagram there of, you know, that mindset and intention and, and manifestation are all important parts of business too. It's the inner work and the outer work. Exactly. And the other thing that I love about this framework is that it's very science-based. I mean, if you look at research studies on the reticular activating system in the brain, if you look at research on, you know, the piano players who practice piano versus just visualizing practicing piano, and they had very similar progression rates. If you look at the work of Joe Dispenza and all of his work on You Are the Placebo, it's all very science-based. It's not as woo-woo and ethereal as some people think. Absolutely. Yeah. Like there is a bridge there, right? Yeah, <laughs> you can bridge absolutely. the gap. Um, so we're going to have to move to our first commercial break, uh, but I'm loving the conversation so far. I think when we'll come back, we'll talk a little bit more, maybe go through some case studies of clients you may have worked with, um, talk about some kind of resistances to change and how you might help people kind of break out um, and kind of become more fully themselves. So if you're listening, hang on in there and we'll see you on the other side of the commercial break. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. 
It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot teachable.com. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back. Um, I'm sitting here with Ray Hyde Cornell, and we're talking about kind of starting your own business and breaking free from a nine to five and both like the tactics and how you actually do it, as well as I think the emotional um, and even spiritual journey that can happen with making those changes. So I was thinking for this segment, we could kick out, kick around some case studies of things that I hear from some of our listeners um, or that I work with also in my business. Um, so the first one is, you know, the person that will say, I don't know, they've been in a certain career and in industry for a while, call it like five to 10 years. Mm. Um, they know that they're not being treated right. You know, they're like, you know, why don't I make as much money as some of my peers, right? Why am I not as happy? I feel like I'm being overworked. Um, I think a lot of, you know, the therapists, quite frankly, that I work with in mental health, but this is common in a lot of industries, um, but they're afraid to jump, right? I think one, because of a scarcity mentality, right? Of like, hey, if I jump, what if it fails? And what if I'm broke and destitute? And maybe I have kids that are rely on me and I, I have all these you know, pressures. Um, and then something else I hear from people, and I'm curious if you hear this too, is this idea of um, they feel like they have specialized knowledge in a small business and they can't change it to anything else, mm-hmm. right? That maybe they get secondary gains, like they get validation from work or they feel important. Or again, I'm thinking about therapists, but they get the kind of like caregiver martyr thing that gets fulfilled, right? And there's like this real emotional resistance, I think, to leaving that. 
um, even though it might be hurting them. It might be toxic for them. Um, so that's a lot of information, but it sounds like you're tracking it. But yeah, what would you say? How would you work with someone that is coming in with that presentation? Yeah, absolutely. So the first piece of that is the fear piece. So the fear piece, when we make decisions based on fear, we're not making decisions logically, but we go through these mental gymnastics of making ourselves think that it's logical. Like, oh, I shouldn't make that jump because I'm going to lose my health insurance, or I want to rely on a steady paycheck, or you know, whatever the case may be, whatever those reasons are coming up for you, they're just masking fear. And the reason I say that they're not logical is because you can have all of those things in self-employment. I have self-pay health insurance. I have my own health insurance policy that covers me and my husband for vision, dental, and medical. And it's amazing. It's a fantastic policy. And we figured out our finances so that we can afford that. We have our own self-funded retirement accounts. We have all the things that you would traditionally get in employment, but without having to be employed. And so that's just one small example of of kind of the things that tend to hold people back. But in terms of how do you start to get over that and how do you start to make that shift? First of all, you have to acknowledge, I'm afraid. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with being afraid and feeling fear. The problem comes when you make decisions based on that fear and you don't take action. You let that fear hold you back. So to start getting yourself into that action phase and building momentum, it's important to start figuring out the practicalities because that's what's going to make you feel more comfortable. So let's say it's about your paycheck. Let's say you're making, I don't know, for the sake of round numbers, you're making $4,000 a month. And that's what you want. You want to replace your income in order to feel comfortable making the leap. The first thing that I do with people who are in this situation is I have a workshop called Price Yourself Perfectly, and it walks you through this step-by-step if you want to go through that process, but basically I'm going to give it to you now. This situation is you need to first write down all of your personal living expenses. Then you need to write down all of your potential business expenses that you would need to operate as a self-employed business. Then I also want you to write down all the things that would be nice to have, like a dining out budget, an entertainment budget, a clothing spending budget, all of the things that you think, yeah, I want to have that extra cushion of spending money each month. And then I want you to write down a list of all of your future planning expenses. So money you want to set aside for travel, for retirement, for medical costs, whatever the case may be, list out all of those things. Once you have those lists, your first two lists, your personal expenses and business expenses, that creates your must have. And then it kind of goes up from there into nice to have and then future halves. From there, that tells you what you need to bring in each month. Now, in the workshop, you get a calculator that'll help you calculate your tax rate and things like that. But essentially, once you add in the amount you need to set aside for taxes, then you figure out, okay, how many hours can I work per week that will be billable? So as you know, Mark, because you're in this world of self-employment, not every minute of your working world is going to be billable. You're also wearing a lot of hats like client acquisition, accounting, doing your own marketing, creating your website, all of those things. That's not billable work. So you only count your billables 
time that you would be spent working directly with clients or on deliverables that clients are paying for. Let's say that that number is 20 hours per week. You divide what you need to earn in a month by 80. And again, sake of round numbers, it's actually going to be 20 times 4.2. But for the sake of round numbers, my brain doesn't start smoking. You're going to divide your 4,000 a month by 20 to figure out what your hourly rate is. That's your baseline. It's your baseline hourly rate. I never encourage people to charge hourly. And that's a whole other soapbox that I can go into, but that's the minimum. When you then look at that and you go, okay, so how many clients would I need to land as a self-employed business owner in order to make that that's when the clouds part, the sun starts shining, the birds start chirping. And every single person I have ever done this exercise with goes, whoa, I can do that. Because usually it's like three clients or five yeah. clients. It's something yeah. very realistic and achievable. Mm -hmm. And when you look at that compared to what you're doing in your mm -hmm. employment, where in the mental health world, you might have a caseload of 20 people or 60 people if you're a social worker. And then you look at, wait, if I was in private practice, I would only need to have eight clients or 10 clients. Mm -hmm. It's just this huge aha moment that makes you realize this is doable. I can do this. And once you have that foundation of the practicality is covered, then your brain starts going, okay, I, I'm on board. I'm excited about this. And once the logical side of your brain is satisfied, your energy gets poured into it and you go, okay, I think I can do this. Let's see if I can make this happen. And for anybody listening, who's considering making this shift, first of all, definitely go through that monetary exercise. It's going to make you feel so much better. But the other thing that's going to make you feel better is knowing you don't have to up and quit your job and try to make this happen out of thin air. You can gradually make the transition. I ripped off the bandaid and I, you know, at several points during my career, I would burn down my business and start all over again and, you know, kind of uh, rebuild with new knowledge that I learned in what didn't work in the previous iteration of my business. But that's just the way that I like to do things. I like to just have a clean slate, start over, quit all the jobs and rebuild a new thing. You don't have to do that. You can make it a gradual transition. And in fact, that's what my husband did when he decided that he was going to come over into my business and leave his full-time job. Yeah, I think that's critical. Right? You can kind of like start digging the trench now, right? You don't exactly. have to burn down the house if you don't want to. Um, exactly. But I think you're right. I mean, that just getting it on paper and having that plan is so critical because yeah, it's like it said, it's like five clients, yeah. eight clients. It's really not a lot, I think. Um, and hopefully if people can have the ability to, to live lean, you can actually knock that number down for a while, right? Be like, okay, it's going to be a shitty three months, but then, you know, we're going to get this rolling and get it going. Um, yeah. I, I question for you a little bit on um, the mindset piece as you were talking, right? Do you think, how do I say this question? I think, do you think there's a difference or there's a difference? <laughs> do you think that it is innate that there are entrepreneurial mindset individuals and there are employee mindset individuals? Um, yes. Yeah, because I think those mindsets are very, very different, and they yeah. trickle out into people's personal lives as well as into their uh, professional lives. But it sounds like we're locked in. So yeah, just go go on that topic. What's the difference between those two different mindsets? Yeah, definitely. So it's kind of like I, I get asked this question a lot: like, can I even be an entrepreneur? And I think back to when I was a kid, and um, I think I was in like 
I don't know, third or fourth grade. And I would go over to my next door neighbor's house and play with their daughter. And um, she and I were pretty much the same age. I think we were a year apart. And I was always very independent and driven and I would always get my schoolwork done early and I would create my own schedule. I was in Montessori school and I would create my own schedule on graph paper of like, okay, I'm going to do my English work at this point. And I'm going to do my math work at this point. And so you would think that when I would go play with the neighbor girl, I would be like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to play this and I'm going to create the rules of the game. And I wasn't that at all. I would go over there and we would play house or, you know, school or whatever. And I'd be like, I'll be the teacher's assistant or I'll be the butler. You just tell me what to do. And there's a certain amount of relief that comes in knowing I can just be an order taker. I can be a people pleaser. I can just do whatever I'm told to do. And I don't have to worry about the strategy side of things. And for some people, especially if you're building a family, if you're the head of the household, you need that relief of not being in charge of everything in every aspect of your life. So there's absolutely nothing wrong. And that's just one kind of explanation of the employee mindset. It goes way deeper than that. A lot of our, our culture tells us, go to school, get the good job, get the corner office, have the 2.5 kids, get the mortgage. You know, That's kind of what we're indoctrinated into from a very young age. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. But I say all that to say, there's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to be an employee. It's only wrong when it starts to feel wrong. If you are feeling like I'm not being appreciated or I want control of my own time, I don't want to be told when and where to work, then you should probably explore the world of being an entrepreneur and being self-employed. But a lot of people don't feel that. They enjoy the structure. They enjoy the accountability and they enjoy the boundaries. That's one thing that I will give credit to the employee world is when you leave the office, as long as you're not, you know, on call as a manager or supervisor or, you know, 24 seven kind of service, work stays at work. It's very hard to recreate those boundaries when you work from home. So if you do feel like it is time to start exploring that entrepreneurial world, know that you're going to take on a lot more responsibility. But again, it's a mindset. It's do you want to set your own rules? Do you want to have sovereignty over how you spend your time and what your quality of life is like? Do you want to break the mold? And that's a huge one for the people that I work with where they go, I don't buy this whole idea that I have to work a 40 hour work week. Can I like live my life and travel and have amazing experiences and amazing quality of life working only 20 hours a week? Is that possible? And then we build a business model where it is possible. So it's really about how do you want to spend your time? What is important to you? And if what's important to you is really designing a life where work is not at the center of it, then yeah, it's time to start making that shift over to the entrepreneurial mindset. For sure. Right. I mean, I think of like the adage, right? Like live to work versus work to live. Yes, and, exactly. I mean, I went through a whole thing of myself of having to build an identity that was beyond what I could provide for other people whether that be socially or, or professionally, right? Um, you know, I, I think as we're moving toward commercial break, I, I want to dig into this responsibility piece because I hear that come up a lot, mm -hmm. right? And when I think of the employee mindset, so much of it is around not getting in trouble, right? Like being right and wrong. Like there's a very clear, structured, boundaried way of like how life should be and how work should be. 
right? But when I think of an entrepreneurial mindset, or at least the mindset I have in some ways, it's everything's gray, right? Like there's success and failure, but failure you can learn from and you can move forward from. It's not like right or wrong in the same way I think it is in a job, right? Um, there's not a boss that's going to like chew you out, right? Um, but then we're holding all the responsibility ourselves because I think what you're alluding to is like, you're the boss and you're the worker and you're the marketer and you're the accountant. And you got to make sure that like your buy doesn't fail while you're doing all of that, you know? So there's a lot more responsibility that I think um, for some people, it really inspires them. But I think for a lot of people, it really intimidates them, quite frankly, you know? Yeah. And to me, responsibility is freedom. I would rather be responsible for for everything in my life because then I have the choice to affect it. Mm -hmm. And if it's something like, you know, uh, deadlines. So for example, within Cornell, we have a lot of internal deadlines. We want to do this and we want to do that. And so we set deadlines for ourselves, but if something happens, I can move those deadlines. Mm-hmm. Or for instance, we have three massive clients right now. And as I mentioned earlier, my family's going through where my mother-in-law is in hospice and they have all been so compassionate and understanding. And one even took all of the appointments off of my calendar yesterday that she had booked for me, which was content interviews. I didn't even ask her to do that. She just did it because she knew, she sensed that I needed some space. And that's the thing is we think that, oh, when we are responsible for everything, well, then everything is going to be rigid and there's so much burden, but really it allows you to be more human and connect with other people in a way that allows more freedom and flexibility. So along with that responsibility comes more space to create something that you can be reasonably responsible for without burning out. Absolutely. I'm the same way. Like I'd much rather be in control. I'd much rather kind of know how things work. Right. I mean, it was similar to what you were talking about. I also have a tinkerer side of me. So I like just getting into the nuts and bolts and the mechanics and I want to understand everything. Right. I want to understand all the dashboards and the metrics and and the billing and how software works. Like I think, that's always been such a huge part of my personality. Uh, I think that's a positive part of me, but a negative part of me is I've always hated bosses. Like yeah. I, I'm a horrible employee, right? Like I am very disrespectful. I think I think I'm smarter than them most of the time. I like work outside my scope. Sometimes I like incite employee riots. You know, like of being like, oh, this boss sucks. Like let's fucking take them down. You know, um, I've done I've done things like that, right? And yeah. so I know that. I am situated to be an entrepreneur and I know that I'm actually not a good employee, right? Yeah. I say that about myself all the time. I'm a terrible employee. I think I was an employee, like a solid employee for like four months in a mental hospital. And I was, I was so bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if you have a rebellious streak and you flout authority just by default, mm-hmm. then I think entrepreneurship might be for you. hundred percent. Right. And I think if you're like a, what I'd say with some of my clients, like if you're a systems person, right? Like if you're able to kind of zoom out, so say you're in a job and you're complaining or maybe complaining, you're analyzing like, Hey, this could be done better. This could be done differently. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, why is this so inefficient? That's your entrepreneurship actually coming out. Yes. Right. Because so much entrepreneurship is that systemic work, right? It's building those structures instead of participating in them. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I have people jumping into Cornell team members all the time. And and the first thing they say, actually, I just started a new executive assistant this week. And she goes, you're so organized. And I love this system. And I love how you have Airtable set up and and all of these things. And I'm like, yeah, that's because I get to set up the world in the way that I want. I'm an uber Capricorn. So it's like all about structure and rules and organization. So yeah, if you are looking at the world thinking I could do this better, then go do it better. People need you to do it better. Go do it. Yeah. And I, I just to double line what you're saying of like, just like make a slice of reality your own. Right. I think there's something 
for me, just very rewarding. Um, this is probably a little spiritual, but it, it, to me, it's almost like a birth, right? It's like taking yeah. an idea and actually like bringing it into reality is pretty powerful. It's like really rewarding. Um, it's the most amazing feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Going from the immaterial to the material is like pretty cool. Um, so on that note, we got to move to our next commercial break. When we come back, we're going to speak directly to you, the listener. Um, Ray will go through maybe some more exercises, things that you can work on right now live. If you're ready to take the jump, you feel inspired and ready to go. Um, so yeah, hang on in there. We'll see you on the other side. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y.teachable.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Oh, welcome back to the show. Um, In this segment, we talk directly to you, the listener. So I want to ask you, Ray, we've been talking a little bit during this podcast, right, of people that are on the fence, right, that are maybe in a job um, and they're starting to realize that they might be stuck or they might be taken advantage of, or, you know, maybe they're, I don't know, they have to buy a home. They're like, shit, this income isn't going to work for the future life I want to have. I need to figure out something else. Um, So what are some activities that I think you could give that population to push them over the fence, you know, to, to move them into the side of entrepreneurship? Yeah. So 
a lot of what keeps us on the fence is not knowing what's possible. And, you know, I have a, a podcast of my own and the theme of that podcast is sharing stories of what's possible so that you can never tell yourself that your dreams are impossible. And on there, I've had guests like my friend, Matt Kasky, who literally, he makes a living spinning basketballs on wine, or basketballs on wine bottles. He is a basketball entertainer. He's made a, a living and a life out of it. And people look at him and they go, you can't possibly be paying the rent doing this. And he is, he's doing so well. And so it's just, I want people to see that there are lifestyles out there that do not fit the traditional mold. And so if you're on the fence, what I would love for you to do is get out a piece of paper and write down everything that you love about your life as it is currently, and then get a new piece of paper, fresh, don't even look at the things you love, but then write down all the things that you don't love about your life and see how many of those things are tied to your work, your rigid schedule that you have to adhere to. If there are things like, oh, I wish I had more time to work out or had more time to spend with my kids or more time to travel. I wish that I could, you know, sleep until nine every day and start work at noon. Whatever the case may be, start to list out everything that you would change about your life if you could wave a magic wand. And this should span not just your work life, but also your family and your social relationships, your monetary life, your quality of life, your enjoyment, your hobbies, your consumption of entertainment, the places that you go, the places you would live, anything and everything. What would you change about your life? I guarantee you, Everything on that list you can change if you're your own boss. I can give you examples. I mean, we'd be here for a month if I gave you all the examples of the unique business models that I've either helped people build or colleagues and friends of mine that just have like, like I take Wednesdays off, for example. I'm off on Wednesdays because I work really well on Saturdays and Sundays when nobody's blowing up my inbox, calling me on the phone, or I have appointments booked. So I like to not work on Wednesdays. That's one small minor example of the framework that you can create for yourself when you're not living in someone else's world and according to their rules and structure. So make those two lists and doing that is going to open your eyes to just really, are you actually happy? And I don't want this exercise to make you depressed. I want it to highlight how much of your life is really within your control and how much of your life you want to have in your control. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And it, and it's a great way to empower people to be like, yes, you can change these, right? Like exactly. you, you have levers here that you can pull and that you can apply. Um, and, you know, business is part of it. I think everyone needs income, right? But once you get that figured out, then yeah, you can build your life around it or have a, a job that suits your life, right? Is what I'm hearing you say, um, rather yeah. than building your life around your job which I think is so true for many people. Absolutely. And it's funny because in the people that I work with on the Chiron side, the financial side of things, that's the easiest part. Yeah. When we figure out their pricing and we set their rates to the point where they're going to live a very comfortable life, putting money into all of the things that they want for the future, not just the bare necessities, that part's easy. The hard part is getting over the fear, the fear of being seen, the fear of rejection, the fear of being in a job or a role where 
your creative output is what's being judged by the world, whether that's your writing, your design abilities, your photography skills, whatever the case may be. Those are the hard things. So I always find it ironic when people will say, well, oh, I can't leave my W-2 job because you know I, I make 3,200 a month and that, that pays our mortgage and whatever the case may be. That's just, that's actually really not the hard part of leaving your job. We can figure that out in 45 minutes. The hard part is all the mental and emotional conditioning that we've been through as employees. 100%, 100%. I mean, I'll extend that further. And this is, you know, my beliefs is I, I frame it a lot of it as initiation ritual, actually, like starting your own business or a coming of age, right? Or even a coming out process for some people, right? Like it's this idea of emerging, um, you know, in the woods with a spear and trying to make it work, you know? And in that process, you learn so much about yourself. You learn so much about the world. Some of those truths are hard and maybe a little bit ugly, but you become a better, stronger, and I think just more flexible and in some ways, like more powerful individual, I think, um, to go through that, uh, to kind of like, yeah, go out into the wilderness away from the tribe and try to, try to make it work. You know? Yeah, I agree. It's, it's very much a putting yourself to the test and you yeah. never know what you're capable of until you sign up for the 5k and you try to make it happen or until you decide, oh, I'm going to be a parent and I've never raised another human being before, but let's see how this goes. I'm going to give it my best. You never know what you're actually capable of until you're in that situation. Mm -hmm. And I never want someone's fear to hold them back to the point where they get to the end of life and they look back on their last 80 years and they go, wow, I spent my whole life working for someone else and giving my time to someone else. I want right. it to be yours. Yeah. I love that. So another client I want to bring up, right? So we talked about a lot about the first time people, right? And people mm -hmm. on the fence, you know, there's a great book. I'm sure you probably read it called The E-Myth, like The Myth of Entrepreneurship. And what they mm -hmm. say in that book is that many entrepreneurs start by making themselves another job, right? Mm -hmm. Like you get another job where you're, like I said, you're the boss, you're the technician, you're the manager, you're everything, right? But there's this next level of how do you make it a business, right? How do you move from just giving yourself your own job to creating a business? Um, and what would you help if someone is in that kind of part of the process. Yeah. So what you're describing is what I call the shift from freelancer to business owner. Right. And when I first started out, I was a freelance writer. I was a freelance web developer. I was a freelance content creator. I was a freelance, whatever role I could possibly get. I was still in that job hunting. Let me snatch up nine jobs on the college campus mentality. When I changed over to being a business owner, the shift that happened was I went from still being an order taker to let me take orders from my clients. They need this deliverable created. Let me create it on their timeline. When I shifted over to being a business, I then set the rules. I told clients what they would pay me, when they would pay me, when I would have things due, when I was available for meetings. I set the rules. I set the boundaries because let's say you're going to the grocery store and you show up at 10.05 and they close at 10. They're not going to bend over backwards for you because you showed up five minutes after closing. No, they're a business. They have rules. They have ways of operating. You need to create that for yourself. And that's one of the things that if you are currently running a business and you want to level up, you want to improve the way your business is running, you have to look at, again, make a list of what's making you unhappy in your business and then ask yourself, 
is this because I'm not setting proper boundaries? Am I not treating myself as a business? About 80% of the time when I'm working with someone, that's the case. That's the culprit. So you need to be able to decide how you want people to treat you and then set the model of how the world is going to treat you rather than just allowing anything to happen because you're worried about losing the client or you want to make sure that you're quoting the job low enough so that the client doesn't go to the next cheapest person. That's not how you run a healthy business that's going to give you the life that you want. That's how you create another job for yourself. For sure. Yeah. Very well said. You know, and I think it's, it's, yeah, it's that leveling up process. I mean, in, in the book and what I help people with is developing a policy procedures manual, which is, which is that, right. And it can seem really boring for people that are maybe in a healing profession or creative mm-hmm. work, but really laying down all those rules and like, how do we actually do things? Um, set you up to one, set those boundaries you're talking about. And two, be in a position to actually be able to replace yourself one day, right. Yeah. And hire someone to do, to be you, um, which, yeah. you know, which we a little more time to talk about. Even that can be, that can be very challenging for people of, of delegating and relinquishing control. So we might have to have you on a future episode, um, but sure. for right now, right. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Um, where can people find out more about you and what you offer? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and and for letting me talk about the things I have going on. Uh, So if you want to be a freelance writer, I have a course on the Cornell side called the um, Content Creators Bootcamp, and it teaches you a very clear structure of how to create content for clients that makes you super fast. I have put all of the writers on my team through this training and they're like, holy cow, I'm now writing blogs in a third the time. And the blogs are actually better and more organized and they're SEO optimized. And now you can sell that service to other companies once you know how to do it really well and really efficiently. That's the other thing. I like to help people get more done in less time without working harder. So if you want to be a freelance writer, check me out on cornellcontentmarketing.com. And I'm at uh, Instagram and Facebook at Cornell Content Marketing as well. On the Chiron side, if you want help with business mentoring, I have the complete guide to building a successful freelance business. And you can get that at chironconsulting.us slash guide. And Chiron, spell the word weird, it's C-H-I-R-O-N consulting.us. US. I have the guide, I have the podcast, I have a free manifestation course, um, all kinds of resources. If you just want to get started building a business that allows you to live the life that you love. Great. Yeah. Check it out. Um, She sounds really, really capable, brilliant person. I think you can really help a lot of people out there. Let's encourage our listeners to go out there, check out the website, check out the course um, and see what's going on with Ray. Uh, So thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Another episode of From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same.